We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. You said something at the beginning of your podcast that um, he was diagnosed with the ALL and it was the vanilla, the vanilla um, leukemia, that um, cancer, childhood cancer that doctors talk about. It's got a high remission rate. It's, you know, as far as taking over and uh, it's, it's got good outcomes, you know, technically. I mean, I think that, yeah, when they say the vanilla of it, that it's, that it, there's still, it's not easy. Um, you know, it totally turns your life upside down. But I think too, like we just dug our heels in and went. I mean, you can't, you're not gonna not fight. Um, that was the one thing we always would say, keep fighting. And those actually were Mitchell's last words. He, and it's a crazy, crazy story. Um, but he really hadn't been conscious and stuff for a few days. And John's mom and dad were there with him. And John was there. I had left to get Meredith from school. And all of a sudden, Mitchell just opened his eyes and said, keep fighting. And um, two days later, he passed away. So that's always kind of been our motto. But yeah, you're going to fight. And the thing is, again, I am, we are standing out 14 years after his death. And research has there's been great strides in the research and that's why, you know, there's, we do not give a lot of our, our state funds and nation funds to um, childhood cancer research. And it's actually quite um, sad, um, especially when you look at the statistics and what, you know, leukemia is the number one childhood cancer. There's, they don't necessarily have a cure for it yet, they have ways to treat it and to get the child into remission, but there's still those chances of relapse. Um, with chemo, there's still those chances of developing other cancers. We have a friend that we met when we lived in Texas, and he had leukemia as a child and had um, and then relapsed with other cancers. One was a bone cancer. They told him he'd never walk again, and he did a triathlon. Um, and he's living today. He's he's been through several several surgeries, but he kept fighting, and he's an adult and married today. You know, so I just think we've got to just make sure that we are um, bringing that awareness and fighting for um, research funds to to find a cure for these childhood cancers and to fund families that are going through the process of it all. But I would say to the families that are diagnosed, again, you know, the, all the um, great strides that have been made and to just to keep fighting. And it sounds like we can thank Mitchell for some of those strides that have been made. Um, 
as a result of, of taking on some of those trials and those drugs and stuff like that at the time. So, so kind of walking us back to that time frame when he was diagnosed with the infection. It ultimately, I mean, it was, we did have a biopsy done and it had, it ultimately was taken over his organs. That's, I guess that's something I've always heard, just not as a person who's experienced childhood cancer or had any, you know, personal experience with it, but sometimes it's not the cancer that takes your life. It's the treatments or, you know, the um, external pieces of trying to treat the cancer. You do hear that a lot of, you know, when they, they get infections and that's what, so it would be not so much that the leukemia killed him, but the complications of of it. So it, it really was almost two years to the day that he was diagnosed until he passed away. He re, yeah, he relapsed two years. And then um, we had family pictures taken on September 3rd. And that next day, we went in for a treatment and were there for a few days and then went home. But that night, he spiked a fever. And we had to go back to the hospital. And I believe that was on the 7th of September. And then he, we did not bring him home after that. 27th of September, he passed away. When families or when we talk about ringing the bell as part of the treatment plan, um, that was something you guys did not do? You never had that opportunity? No, we did not ring the bell in the clinic. They did, he did have to have a little bit of radiation because that was the protocol. They did radiation to his brain because I guess sometimes when they relapse, that's kind of where it will come back. So that's a preventative measure. And so they, they do have a ring the bell at the, at the radiology clinic, but we did not ring, we did not ring the bell. I know that some of the other conversations we've had with other families um, talk about the hair loss and, the, and that seems to be a very symbolic piece. And you mentioned that when he was at um, the OU baseball camp and stuff like that, that they recognized him as having, you know, cancer because he had no hair. Was that something you guys did as a family to, um, I know some people were talking about parties and, and maybe making it a special event. Was that something you guys did? And did y'all feel like that was a symbolic piece to the cancer treatment? Well, his dad did shave his head as well. And he's never gotten his hair back since. <laughs> I did not shave my head, but a lot of his buddies came over and we kind of had a hair head shaving night um because they they wanted to look like Mitchell and so um John got his clippers out and they lined up and they he shaped several of his friends heads that night I love hearing those symbolic pieces of the journey and kind of how families make that um I don't know those very hard moments into uh, pieces that are are fond memories, I guess, to, to think about um, in, in the journey of all of it. When you went down that path of wondering how do we how do we make this decision on continuing treatment versus um, are we going to fight and to keep fighting, um, the Whitakers never quit, you know, kind of talking through all of that. How did you and John kind of ultimately make that decision? Do you, do you remember the process that y'all went through to say, you know what, it's okay, it's okay? Yeah, I mean, just through lots of tears um, and just hard, but, but 
just looking at our son in that PICU hospital bed and knowing what he had suffered through the last couple weeks and watching him be in pain, we just, I mean, not that we didn't feel like it was a quitting thing that we quit, but um, just a, uh, just what we needed to do, letting go. I don't know. I, I remember, um, you know, uh, things that get us through, number one was our faith, um, our family and our friends. But um, I remember making that decision. And again, Mitchell wasn't really coherent much, you know, in and out and stuff because we were, they were treating him for pain. He was in so much pain. But he, and he had to be on like, it was a BiPAP machine. It wasn't, um, you know, where it would help. It was kind of like a bypass, like that would help. It wasn't a vent, but it was helping him to, to breathe and, and fill his lungs with air and stuff um, because he was really too weak to, to do all of that on his own, but didn't need to be on a vent at that time. And we just had made that decision of, you know, we're not going to put him through that anymore and yes it's a hard hard decision to make but none of us wants we don't want to watch our kids suffer and just in order to to keep him alive for us you know we don't want that and so when we made the decision um john just bent down um and whispered in mitchell's ears um go see jesus um, and Mitchell shook his head, yes. So, um, he knew where he was going, and we did too, and so, um, I mean, for us, that was just a confirmation for him not to really be, you know, responding to a lot of things, for him to shake his head, yes, about that. That just, um, helped confirm that for us. I think too, Tracy, when I look at you, um, I know you and I've talked off, off of the podcast, but um, we've talked that, I mean, you're a survivor. You're a mom that has lived through the hardest days. You lived through almost two years of, of treatment and experiencing um, what no family and what pa no parent wants to experience. And here you are on the other side. And I think Mitchell's continuing to, you know, keep fighting, as he said. And I know that that's something you've taken to heart as a family who had a child with um, childhood cancer, who had a child with leukemia and, and died ultimately from that cancer. But you guys keep fighting. You guys keep fighting all the time, not only to raise funds, um, but now you give back to the community. And I'm wondering if you could maybe share just a little bit about what you do and because of, you know, like you said, God's laid a path for, um, for this from the very beginning. And so it's kind of coming to circle here with some of this that you're doing now. Um, yeah, I would say it really came from Mitchell's heart. Again, he was a tender-hearted boy. When I talk about when we were first diagnosed, we had roommates. And we, we had a lot of roommates. We would sometimes sleep with five family members on the other side of the curtain. Like John, I always laugh and say we could write a book about just the roommates of our hospital stays. Um, but this particular time, 
you know, we had really, really been blessed with a great community. John and I both had good jobs. Um, people came all the time bringing gifts to Mitchell, bringing gift cards to us. I mean, we had an overabundant amount of, of people that had given to us things to, to, to us. We went this particular time we were in the hospital with the mom that was single. And I can't remember exactly where they were from. I feel it was up northeast. But she was just kind of sharing her heart. The boys, Mitchell loved it. Always it was another boy, usually for the most part, that we had to be roommates with. So that was, and he he would want to meet his neighbor because he, you know, he wants to make friends and not be lonely and bored in the hospital. And so um, this kid was about Mitchell's age. I think he was maybe a year older. And they both loved video games so that they would roll in video games, you know, so the, the boys were playing a video game and this mom just was kind of sharing her struggles of being a single mom and she had two other boys and her parents could kind of help out a lot and, you know, or could help them out a little bit with, with her and, but she struggled with not being there for them and needing to be here for her son and um, just financial struggles and everything. And, you know, the boys were just playing videos. Well, they had to leave to go get an x-ray or something. And when they left the room, Mitchell, who you think wasn't really paying any attention listening, he said, mom, we should do something for them. And so um, we had been given some gift cards and stuff. So when we left to go home, we left before they did. And we just put them in an envelope and told the nurses to just give them to that family. So fast forward a little bit to Mitchell's ninth birthday, because when he was diagnosed at eight, again, you don't know if he's going to make it to nine. So we had a big party, but um, he, again, he'd been given so many things that he needed not one thing for his birthday. So we talked to him and we we would always take, when you go to stay for long hospital stays, I mean, he wanted his own pillow, he wanted his own sheets, he wanted a blanket, he wanted, we would have water, he didn't like the toilet paper, he didn't like the Kleenexes, <laughs> you know, and things to do. And so we had people bring these things that for us made our hospital stays a little more comfortable. And um, bottled water, clean, um, crayons and markers and color books and things, you know, activities for the kids. He loved sour candy, um, granola bars, just snacks, things like that, that just, again, made your hospital stay a little easier. Um, and so we called them the Go Mitch Go chemo carts, and we would make them and we would deliver them to the social worker and she would take them to families that newly diagnosed families. We couldn't know who they were because that's the HIPAA violation. So anyway, um, she would take them. We, after he passed away, so that's kind of, it really started out of the tenderness and his heart of being thoughtful of others. Um, after he passed away, I had said, someday I'm going to run a marathon, because um, we had some friends that ran a marathon in his honor while he was going through treatment, through team and training, which is a um, part of Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And so I, um, signed up after he passed away in 2007, January 2008, I signed up to run my first marathon through team and training. And then after I did that, I completed it in June. Um, the next year I was turning 40. 
and I said, for my 40th birthday, I'm going to see if I can get um, 40 friends to join me in raising money for research um, for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and run, you know, half or a full marathon. They could choose. My husband thought I was crazy, and he said, you're not going to get 40 people to do that. And I got 48. And then he also ran. He decided to run last minute, so 49, counting him. Um, and we raised, um, I believe it was over $250,000 for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society doing that. Um, and then I just said to my husband after that, what if we raised a million dollars? Let's raise a million dollars. And so we just decided to start our own foundation called the Go Mitch Go Foundation and started raising money. And um, to date through that, we have raised um, a little over $2 million. So we're, we, we love being able to help families. We've given to um, research, a lot of money to research, and then just assisted families who are going down this path. It's a financial drainer. I mean, and so just being able to help families do that, we know that that is pleasing to, to Mitchell. I love that. I love that story about Mitchell, even when he was in the hospital, he was giving back to his roommates, you know, at the time. So, wow. And y'all just continued his uh, legacy in that way. So that's very, I, I love that. You now also continue to help and support families. Um, talk about some of the ways that you continue to serve and support and love on families now, even. Um, well, I um, started working for the Oklahoma Family Network 2017, I believe. I just had heard about them and I just felt like I was then in a place. I mean, it would, was 10 years at that time. And so I felt like I could be a, you know, be a help of some, to some families. And so I started working in the pediatric oncology, hematology area, and just, just supporting families when they're newly diagnosed. And, and then um, I, through that, I came to know about the OK Kids Corral, which is a, um, through the Toby Keith Foundation. I started doing some stuff over there through Oklahoma Family Network, just um, helping with some meals and activities for the families there. And the position of guest relations and re guest relations and volunteer coordinator came open. And I have done occupational therapy for 25 years and worked in, um, was working in the school system at the time and this position came open and I just felt like the Lord was just sending me in that direction and um, I applied for the job and got it and so I am the guest relations and volunteer coordinator over there now at the OK Kids Corral and it's definitely not a position that I am schooled for um, but it's because of my life's journey and my, the past that I've walked on, um, that I can be there and I, I know and I understand, um, what these families are going through. It's been a really, it's been a good job. At times it's a very hard job, um, 
but I feel like I'm right where God wants me to be. Okay, so tell us more about the OK Kids Corral and maybe how they serve the community. Uh, yes, the OK Kids Corral is a basically a home away from home. Um, it's through the Toby Keith Foundation, but it's for families. It's a lodging for families whose kids are being treated for pediatric cancer over at OU Children's Hospital. So we provide for them a room, beautiful room to stay in. Um, it's basically like a hotel, but with more of a lodging look. Um, we have a big area for the kids to play in, indoor and outdoor playroom. And then we provide, we have groups that come in, different businesses, different church groups come in and, and cook meals for our families for dinner at, on Sunday through Thursday nights. So um, it's just a great place for these families who are going through such a hard time. I think it helps to kind of lift the load of not having to pay for a hotel and being provided with meals. And it's close to the hospital. If they don't have a car, um, there's shuttle service. And so um, it's a great blessing for these families. Oh, I'm sure it is. What are some of the parameters to qualify to be able to stay there? They have to, one, their child has to be being treated for pediatric cancer, and two, they have to live 30 miles outside of the city. Talk a little bit about, it's a struggle that you've had when you meet families, and sometimes you have the opportunity to share and encourage, and, and then all of a sudden, a family says, well, how's your child doing now? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can or would share with us maybe some of the struggles that, uh, and it's, I don't know that struggle is the right word, but maybe um, just share with us how you, how you respond or how you love on families knowing that your child didn't survive cancer, childhood cancer, and you're encouraging families now to keep fighting and, and to survive. I'm just wondering if you might talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, that was one thing when I started with OFN and I would go in and meet some of the families and stuff. And um, then I really like I had a particular mom whose daughter, she had a beautiful head of hair, just curly. And, and, um, and I just remember looking at her and, and then and saying, I understand looking at the mom and just saying, I, I know I understand what it's like sitting in these hospital rooms for days upon days and you know and said my husband or my son was um was treated for leukemia and um and we kind of started talking about something else but then later just she did circle back and say you know how is your son and then at that point, then I was like, you know, maybe this is not the perfect position for me to be the one to come in on these newly diagnosed families and introduce myself. And, you know, and so we kind of, we had to work through that. But I, I would say with that is that I do, I think everybody's story has, a, everybody has a story and your story can be powerful. With my story, I, I know, and I feel like after all this time, I've gotten to where I know there's a time and there's a place to share my story. And I feel like I just kind of know when those times are and when they are not. But I also do, like I've said before, is when I share my story, I follow up with saying, remember it's been 14 years ago. 
And again, there's been so much research done and so much changes to the medical treatment of it. And so, you know, I don't ever want to tell my story and it crushes somebody's hope. I never wanted to be in that place. And so again, I just kind of get a feel for the families and just trying to know when and when it, when is time to share it and when there's not time, when it's not a time to share. Thank you for putting that piece in there. I know too, though, that childhood cancer is not pretty. There's nothing beautiful about it. And the ugly truth is that we still have children die on a regular basis from childhood cancer. And I think that that's why we uh, are so actively pushing Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. You know, even from Oklahoma Family Network, we know that there is, you know, it is this, it is a special health care need in our society. And so being able to uh, bring awareness, bring, you know, the campaign of childhood cancer awareness um, and then the supports like what you have and what you do and, and who you are. Uh, because I know that if, if people, you know, meet you, you are indeed a friend at first meet, you know? So uh, I know that you are loved by, very, by, by so many. I did not get to meet Mitchell. We met many years after, I guess we met 10 years after Mitchell's passing. And so I did not get to meet Mitchell. And, um, and in some ways you share him so beautifully. I feel like I know Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's just moments that I sit there and go, oh my gosh, I, I do. I do know Mitchell Whitaker, you know, in this, like, <laughs> oh, I, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet him. But I, I do feel like I know him through you guys um, because y'all just, you light up every time you get to speak about him. But yeah, no, thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you for sharing Mitchell with us. Uh, I know that there's a, a world of people out there that are, are anxious to hear because they didn't know you, you know, or they didn't know you and your family when Mitchell was here. Um, why don't we wrap up by talking a little bit about Meredith? We talked this whole time about Mitchell and why don't you tell us a little bit about Meredith and maybe her transition, um, through, you know, having a sibling and then not having the sibling there all the time. And, um, and then who she is now, because she is a beautiful young woman that, like you said, is getting ready to graduate from Oklahoma state. Yes, that she is. Um, you know, for Meredith, um, she was eight when he passed away. She, he, her birthday is August 27th. She turned eight and then one month later he passed away. Um, and, and I remember like, you know, talk, we, we didn't seek therapy right after Mitchell passed away. I would look at books, you know, and if the author had not lost a child, then they didn't know how I felt and what, how, what I needed to do to process. So I just, I didn't read a lot of books, but what I did read is I wanted to make sure that Meredith made it well through this. Like I just was, my biggest concern was not really even so much me, but it was more so just Meredith. Like I wanted her to, to make it through this and process and what I needed to expect with, you know, her and stuff. So I did read a few books on that. And, um, you know, she, like I said, she was the good other child, the perfect other child through all of this and went with the flow and, and everything. And she did not really, um, I remember that we took her to eat and then, and told her that Mitchell was going to, was going to die. And then we took her up to, to see him one last time and stuff. And, and for kids, I remember what I read was they really, they don't, look at the future. They don't look at the past. They're just really live in the present. 
And so, um, but I also remember reading that later on in those puberty years, in junior, you know, junior high and the tweeny years, they, they will process this. And I just remember seeing, um, we did take her to, I believe it was Calm Waters because it, that was available. We did take her to a little kids group therapy, um, little group for a little while because she wouldn't say Mitchell, the words Mitchell died. She would say um, her friend's grandma, you know, she did what Mitchell did. And I was like, oh, had cancer? And she'd say, you know, shake her head no. And I said, died. And, and she would, so she wouldn't say those words together. Um, and so we did get, put her in a little counseling for that. And in the group, in that group, you had to say, my name is Meredith Whitaker and I am here because my brother died. You know, like she, they said those words. That's how they started. But I remember later on in junior high and early high school, just some relationship issues that she would have with just mate with other girls and stuff and just some issues that I felt where maybe we were beginning to see the process of what she had been through. And so we did put her in counseling. And she will tell you to this day that that was one of the best things we did for her. And I, I remember telling her, Meredith, I, I don't have the tools to give you, but I know there are people out there that do, um, counselors do, and, um, and, and so I, that you can have those tools, they can give those to you. And so that's why we put her in. And John and I have also gone through counseling as well. It's a hard, hard thing to walk through. They, uh, you know, statistically, we should not still be together when your kids go through cancer treatment and even just the death of a child, you know, and so, so I do believe in counseling. And one thing I, I wanted to talk about too is when, when Mitchell passed away, there was not any like a mom's group or anything like that, that I remember um, out there for moms who have lost a child. I went to my very first mom's bereavement group 10 years after Mitchell had passed away. And I sat at that table with other moms who had the same heartache as I did. And I, I didn't realize how powerful that would be and how helpful it would be. And I was 10 years out and I went because I had two friends who had tragically lost their kids. So I was going and their kids were older, but I was going in support to them, not realizing what I would get out of it. And so through that, and this was a bereavement group for a variety of losses of your children um, from tragic to cancer and other things. And so I started one through Oklahoma Family Network just for moms who'd lost their kids to cancer because to walk that cancer path is, you know, again, like we've talked about, such a hard journey and a journey nobody wants to face, but you've walked that, some of them for years, years and years. We just did two, where some do seven to eight years and then lose their kids or their kids got through the treatment and they've They've, they've been in remission and years later begin to develop things and pass away. And so I think there's a lot of, it. it's beneficial.
for to have counseling to also together with um, people that share that same heartache. I love what you guys do. I love the Go Mitch Go. I, I can't wait to tag that in our in our posts <laughs> and all of that. So, um, but then you you do a, a golf tournament, and from what I understand, this year's golf tournament is also held on um, a very special day. Mm-hmm. Yes, this year it happened to fall on the anniversary of Mitchell's 14th um, anniversary in heaven. Um, and yes, so we'll have it. It is, gosh, I think it's, it is our, we started it in 2009, um, the golf tournament, and we've had it ever since. And so um, it's, it's great. It's, um, you know, we have family, people that have come from day one and been there that walked the journey with us and then we have people that we've met and heard our story and want to support us that never knew Mitchell um, but they they come to support us and so yes that is the 27th um, at the greens and I would say advertise it but we are full (laughs) which is a good thing (laughs) that is a good thing that is a good thing Um, I I love that and it, it tells a lot about you guys. I mean, it just tells a lot about people wanting to surround you uh, and, and support you in what you do even today. So, well, well, Tracy, thank you again. Please thank John and Meredith too for, uh, for allowing you to come on and share a little bit about their piece and all the puzzle of Mitchell's journey. And Again, I think it's important um, to hear other people's stories, to know you're not alone, to know you're not going crazy. Um, you know, like I just think of people going through just say this pandemic and everything and that and that's a rough time, but people that have lost a child, we're waking up putting our feet on the floor with already broken heart. And then adding things on top of that, like I tell my moms a lot to remember that, like, you're already starting with a hole in your heart and then to add other things onto that, that you're not going crazy. It's a lot to to handle and you've got to give yourself um, grace and you've got to to take care of yourself. And so I think that's very important. I love that. So, well, Tracy, thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. I I look forward to releasing this podcast Mm -hmm. on behalf of your family. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.